Come on with it. Hey, y'all. Chigger Ticky here. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Let's get down to business. In my last year of seminary, I was assigned to be a student pastor of a tiny congregation in a tiny farm town in southern Indiana. This place was so tiny, it seemed inaccurate to call it a town. It had no intersection or crossroads. It was merely a cluster of grain silos, a few little houses, one tiny general store that doubled as a post office, and, of course, the little church. This sparse smattering of buildings straddled a two-lane farm road that was part of a matrix of asphalt that lay like a grid over many thousands of acres of flat Indiana farm fields. For me, this was a weekend assignment. Every Saturday, I would pack a bag in my seminary dorm room in Louisville, Kentucky. Then I would drive north to this tiny Indiana, quote, town. I would unpack my bags in the house provided for the minister. They called it a manse. It was not much. It was a very old one-story, two-bedroom place, and I shared it with a large family of mice, a large family of mice who lived in the stove in the kitchen. I assume the mice were thankful that I never cooked anything. I was always invited to dinner by church members. But occasionally I would set a kettle to boil on the stove for instant coffee, and this would send the mice scrambling to the bottom of the stove, squeaking in protest. To be honest, when I first learned that I was assigned to this tiny country congregation, my heart sank. I had been counting on an assignment to a suburban church. So I went to the seminary's field placement director, and I pleaded my case to her. I said, look, I'm, I'm a city boy. We have other students here in the seminary who grew up in the country. They'll be more comfortable where you want to send me. Yes, she said, and I'm sending the rural students to the city and suburbs. Are you trying to torture us, I asked her. No, she said. I'm trying to expand your horizons. So off to the country I went. But I was then, and still am, a city boy, really, which is a little ironic, because in my family only one generation separates me from the country. Both sets of my grandparents grew up on little southern dirt farms. They were all four born around the year 1900, and like so many Americans of that generation, when they reached their late teens, they headed for the city, where there were decent-paying factory jobs, running water, indoor plumbing, electricity, the good life. But for my grandparents, the country was still their childhood home, and occasionally they'd take us grandkids back to the old turf to visit relatives who had never left for the city. For me, these trips were excursions into the bazaar. Some of my relatives still used outhouses, stinking little wood plank booths with a bench that had a butt-sized hole that always buzzed with flies. Once my cousin Robert convinced me to look down that hole with a flashlight. After that, I couldn't sleep for a couple of nights. A few of the relatives, though, had recently installed indoor plumbing. But this came with rules. Every time before I went to the bathroom, I was told, if it's brown, flush it down. If it's yellow, let it mellow. I remember thinking, this place is the twilight zone. 
And now my seminary was dispatching me back into the twilight zone in order to expand my worldview. Quickly, though, I settled into a routine. I would arrive at the manse on Saturday afternoons and would sit at the Formica tabletop with my Bible and pen and paper and work out a sermon for the following morning. From time to time, I would glance toward the stove to see little mouse heads poking up from the burner holes, beady eyes trained on me. This creeped me out at first, so I would stomp my foot to send the little beast back into the stove. In time, though, like Tom Hanks talking with Wilson the basketball, I started to address the mice. Sometimes I would try out my sermons on them and their little heads would turret toward one another as if they were silently asking, what the hell's he talking about? Sometimes, because there was nothing better to do, I would go for walks on Saturday nights. And this is how, at age 25, I finally learned that night times can be different from one another. In the city, night was always generic, the same. The sun went down, the street lights came on, and in terms of illumination, no night was different from any others. But out here on the rural plains of Indiana, I saw that some nights, for example, clear nights with a full moon, are almost as lit up as daytime. Some nights I could see for miles across the plains, could even make out the color of houses and barns a mile away. On the contrary, cloud-covered nights were so dark I could barely see two feet in front of me. On Sunday mornings, the little congregation of just a few families would gather in the church's sanctuary. On a good Sunday, we'd have maybe 30 people present. And with my amateur sermon, I would torture these folks as I had tortured the mice the night before. The church building was old and oddly built. For example, it had but one restroom with one sink and one toilet, which could be accessed only by a door at the side of the sanctuary. In the congregation was an old farmer whose prostate never let him sit all the way through my sermons. As I was preaching, he would get up, go to the bathroom, shut the door, and create a sort of intermittent cascade into the toilet, which would resound loudly throughout the sanctuary. Sometimes flatulence would be added into the bargain. Yet by unspoken agreement, the congregation and I were compelled to behave as if we didn't hear any of this. I would continue preaching as if nothing were happening. The congregation would not cut eyes at one another or smirk. Twilight Zone. But this isn't all. This congregation held some bizarre beliefs. For example, they believed that God's greatest healing power is concentrated beneath the apex of pyramids. Let me try to explain this. Almost everybody in this little church owned a small metal framework in the shape of a pyramid. Usually the apex or peak of the pyramid stood about two feet off the ground. The pyramids had no covering, so they were essentially a wrought iron three-dimensional triangle. And they could be carted about. They were portable. And the church members believed that, for example, if you had a sore knee or headache, you could be healed by putting your knee or your head beneath the pyramid. If you, if you have a window plant that's wilting, well, keep watering it, but put it under the pyramid for a few hours. It'll come back to health. Twilight Zone. But they did care for me. And they nurtured me as a young, bumbling, boring preacher. One crazy instance of their care I will carry in my heart forever. 
This was January, when the Indiana plains turned murderously cold. The temperature was in single digits. A stiff, icy wind was raking the bare cornfields. Sunday worship was finished, and after having dinner with a family who lived across the road from the church, I went to get into my car to drive back to Louisville. The key lock to the car was frozen. But these, these good farm folk had already taught me to keep a butane lighter in my overcoat in order to heat up the car key while holding it in my gloved hand. And that did the trick this time. The key unlocked the door. But then I tried to crank the old Buick. Well, it was so sluggish it wouldn't crank. But it was weird because it wasn't that the battery was dead. The car seemed to have plenty of electricity, but the engine just didn't want to wake up. I scurried back to the house where I'd had dinner. The man of the house, an old farmer, asked me, What kind of oil you run in your car? I answered him the best way I knew how. I said, Huh? He said, Let's take a look. He bundled up. We walked back to the car. He looked at the oil sticker on my windshield and said, Oh my gosh, son, you shouldn't run 10W40 in the winter. It's too thick. Then he sighed and added, But we'll get you fixed up. Back in the house, he got on the phone and called some of the other guys in the church. One arrived with a huge canvas tarp, another with a paint roller pan, and another with a bucket of charcoal. We went back out to the car, and I watched as one of them poured charcoal into the paint pan, doused it with lighter fluid, set it ablaze, after which he knelt down and shoved the blazing charcoal under the front of my car. Then a couple of more of the guys threw the tarp over the car and staked it to the ground. After doing this, they said, let's go inside and get some coffee. I didn't feel as nonchalant as they did. My poor old Buick, with at least half a tank of gas, was straddling over flaming charcoal embers. I thought maybe we should be standing clear of the house windows. Reading my anxiety, one of the guys said, hey, we know what we're doing. Got to do this with the tractors every now and then. Then another added, You know, the tarp makes it kind of like a pyramid. It's bringing some positive divine energy to your car. About 30 minutes later, we went outside. And they pulled the tarp off of my car. As I opened the door, wisps of smoke threaded out into the winter wind. I got behind the wheel, turned the key, and the Buick cranked better than it had in weeks. One of the farmers explained, We had to heat up your oil to thin it down. When you get back to Louisville, change your oil to 5W30, then in the spring shift over to 10W30 and you'll be fine. And with that, I drove back to Louisville. I traded in that car about three years later, and until then, every time I gave somebody a ride, they asked me, You been barbecuing in here? No, not really. You're just catching a whiff of the Twilight Zone. But you know, after the car was gone, I kind of missed that aroma. In the same way, I missed those country farm folks. Though I'm sure I seemed as strange to them as they did to me, we still cared for one another. And in the end, that's all that really matters, isn't it? Hey, thanks for listening. You know, I really, really would love to hear from you. You can shoot me an email at sugartiki at gmail.com. Some of you have. 
and I have thoroughly enjoyed corresponding with you. You got a story about the country or about the city? Write to me. Let me know about it. We can talk about it. In the meantime, be kind to one another, be excellent to one another, and always remember to 